in Exodus. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we get to be in this amazing book of the Bible. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? Somebody went down. You're breathing. Good. I like it. Excellent. (laughs) It gives us a chance to turn to Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. And we today are doing something really rare for our church. We are covering two verses. I know, gasp. It's like Swanson, you do four chapters at a time. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. When things get important, they're always important. The Bible's amazing. It's always the word of God. We always get pointed to our Savior. But this, what we're doing today, and we're starting on taking some weeks in the Ten Commandments. It is so critical that you get this right today. My passion and my heart and my hope pastorally for you is you would understand what's going on with the giving of the law. It is an area that is so important. It's, it's intimately tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy for you to say, yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ, there's this man who came and died on a cross for me, and then he rose from the dead. That's a miracle, but I get it. That's what the Bible's saying. But where people get confused, and so confused that they go off the rails, is what is the law? What are the rules? What do they mean? What do they do? And, and, and how come they're there? And so this is super important what we're doing today. I mean, it's, it's almost this comical thing we saw last week, only it's not comical at all. With Moses running up and down the mountain, my wife said, hey, that's the first ultra marathoner. Who's an ultra runner? He's running up and down the mountain like eight times. Run up to the holy God that they can't get close to. Run down. You know, you need to listen to him and obey him and then he'll treasure you. Oh, we will, we will. Run up. They will, they will. Run down. Get holy, but don't come too close. Run up. And God's going to tell them what they need to do. This isn't just like me, you know, calling up even the president and saying, hey, President Biden, what's your thought for the day? I mean, uh, if you could find his phone number, we're talking about the ruler and maker of the entire universe. He's in fire and smoke and, and he's scary. And we thought about that last week. And what are they supposed to obey is right here. The Ten Commandments. It's the summary of the law, right? But the law to do, it's, it's written in stone, it's going to be, and we're going to see it in a variety of ways. It's a couple times in the Bible. It, it, it's in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. But this is key. Who doesn't know the Ten Commandments? If you don't, you need to, right? We rightly teach our children these things. It's what we order our society around, and, 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 and whether they like it or not, this is how stuff works, you know. So you have these amazing, even define Christianity itself. This is what you need to do. Love God and love people. And that's a summary of what? The Ten Commandments. The Ten. It's really hard, you know. I mean, C.S. Lewis famously, I don't know if you've heard this quote, said, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. It's tough. 
But, but, but at least we have a list, you know. We have knowledge of what to do. And, 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 and perhaps what we talk about today then is the most important decision you're going to make about the Bible. What's the meaning of this? How do I take it? It will define how you live. It will. In my heart, like, what, what did Jesus die for? And what, what didn't he? And, and, and I believe Jesus died for my sins. No wiggle. But, but what's my relationship with Jesus really about? And what does it look like? And my heart for you is that you would receive the wonder of forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to get there, we use the law. So that's what we're going to do today. And I, first, I want to kind of talk through with you. Because Christians everywhere teach and adhere to the Ten Commandments. They're, they're, they're most often kind of taught as the way to live as a Christian. Like I said, love God and, and love people. Well, love God, yeah. Worship only Him. Have no other gods before Him. Don't take His name in vain. Keep His Sabbath. Obey your parents. And love people, you know. Don't, don't kill. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet stuff that other people have. This is really, I mean, those are the negatives, right? That's how you state them negatively, but I could say it positively. It's honor life and be faithful to your spouse and be honest and truthful and content and grateful. And these are the things, and, and many people suggest good ways to live, good pathways to go down. You can read self-help books about, you know, this is a, how business will work or how life will work, and it's all people. This is God. And he's telling us. He's telling these folks. And so this is when people have been brought out of Egypt and through the wilderness and to the mountain and going up the mountain and then getting and receiving from God. This place, if you obey me, I will treasure you. Okay, well, what is it? Revered, right? Here's the start. This is the first two verses. And God spoke all these words. It's called the Ten Words. Ten Commandments. And saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he's going to go into the ten. Listen to me, he says. So it's not crazy, right? It's not crazy that we might think, wow, this is, this is the center. This is the things we're going to have to do. This is Judaism. I mean, obviously, he's talking to the Jews. But Christianity piggybacks right on top of this. We go and say, hey, th this is the thing. Obey this and live. Do you know people are going to hell because they're not doing good and obeying God? And that implies I am. And I have this Ten Commandments that I can follow. In this sense, right, it's a ladder to God. If you do these things, if you increase in these things, you will be treasured. He will be with you. You will be blessed. You will be saved. If you don't, if you aren't obedient, if you, if you don't do these things, it will be revealed. And, and, and eventually you'll be out. This is the door. 
This is the ladder. This is the way. This is the center. This is what Jesus helps us do. In fact, for many people, this is what grace is, enabling grace to help you do what God said you need to obey because that's the purpose of Jesus, to give you this enabling grace so you can finally be acceptable to God and he will love you and you will be in him because you have been given the strength by the Holy Spirit or something to do this. Maybe even that's what you think. At least, maybe what it is is I do the best I can and Jesus fills up the rest and so it's still doing it, you know, but I'm giving it my best try and then, and then hopefully over time I, my best try gets a little better. So we build, you know, a whole life out of this. And I don't know about your life, but I think most people, increasing our abilities to keep these, we train our kids in them, we give out gold stars for those who seem most morally pure, we lift up others who are good people, who do these commands, they're the good ones, they're examples for us all. Most of us think this is what being a Christian is, that they're working on keeping these because it's being more obedient to God. It's not just a good idea. It's not just best practice. It actually keeps our relationship with this amazing holy God. You got to make people do these. So as we start this section where we're slowing down, you got to get to know the Christian context. You got to get to know the story. You got to understand what it is that's going on and you've got to make a choice. What is this law to you? Here's my suggestion for you and me why we're taking this morning to do it. I think you should think about the law the way Jesus Christ taught it. I think you should understand how Jesus taught about the law, what, what, what he's actually saying. So I want to take a minute and go look and think with me about Jesus and the law and how he presented it and taught it to people. Because I know I'm not a Jew. I'm, I've been saved by Jesus. I trust in Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And so, and so that's light and mirrors. Let me show you. Because, because how did Jesus, for that we go to Matthew for just a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5, right? We read it this morning. But, but it starts this way, Matthew's presentation. What's going to be about the law? He says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. And he's going to teach this whole couple chapters long in 5, 6, and 7 about, about the law. Why, why do I say that? Right? Well, it's the most famous sermon in the Bible, right? The Sermon on the Mount. You can't mistake that the purpose is to explain the Ten Commandments. Matthew wants us to see that. Why do I say that? Well, think about it. Think about what we've been through in Exodus, right? The... the, the God's people are in Egypt and a ruler is ordering the killing of babies and, and, and God then calls them out of Egypt and he leads them out and it's organized and then, and then they come to the mountain and there's God on the mountain and his glory up on the mountain and that's where the Ten Commandments come. So now think about Matthew's presentation of Jesus. Have you seen this? You know there's a ruler who's killing babies and so Jesus is in Egypt and God calls him out of Egypt through baptism 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And then he goes in Matthew 5 up on the mountain. That's where we are here in Matthew 5. 
And from the mountain, Jesus speaks. I wonder what he's talking about. It exactly parallels this giving of the law. And in fact, Jesus Christ is talking about the law to you and me. To the people there that think they're keeping the law, right? That's the Jewish people. This is what the most important thing is. And here's Jesus, and he goes through that. It's not an accident that he parallels what we've seen in Exodus. The Sermon on the Mount parallels the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law. And so this whole sermon is about God's law. How to understand the purpose of the law. So our understanding has to follow Jesus' understanding when he taught the Sermon on the Mount to those who thought they were keeping the Ten Commandments. And so what is this teaching? Well, it's to shine a light. It's to raise a mirror. It's not to give a guide. Right? It's to show them that God's law is so much more demanding than we ever realize. That's what the Sermon on the Mount does, Right? It is so much more demanding than you could imagine. How does he do that? What does he say? It's huge. Because we, you and me, define righteousness. Define obedience by what we do. Right? Or don't do. The righteous person does right things, and an unrighteous person does unrighteous things. And I can look at your behaviors, and your behaviors are what makes the difference. I can see you're doing something bad. That's how I define it. And so the world defines it this way, too. I don't care why people keep the law as long as you obey it. I don't care why you're only driving 45 in the 45 zone as long as you're not driving 60. Jesus breaks that. This is Jesus in the law. He breaks that. He says it's not about whether you did it. He says it's about your heart. Now, we've always known that because God, even in 1 Samuel 16, right? He's saying, hey, the Lord looks on the heart. We know that. It's not something we don't know that God looks at the heart. It's just that we haven't normally defined righteousness that way. And so this idea comes, oh, wait, 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 wait. You might say. Oh, that, that brings me comfort. You know, because I don't do things perfectly. But out the, So I'm really glad God's not looking at sort of my rough exterior where I mess up. He looks into my intentions. He looks into my heart where I'm soft. Where I'm, I'm actually trying hard, but he just doesn't see it right. And, and sometimes I mess up out there. So God looks through that and he looks into my heart. And then I realize as I read what Jesus does with the Sermon on the Mount, that's, that's simply not what he's doing. My heart has envy in it. My heart has lust. My heart has hatred. My heart has anger. My heart is evil. I mean, I knew that diagnosis. It's in Jeremiah 17, right? God says, the heart is desperately wicked. I thought, well, he's talking about somebody else's heart. (laughs) No, he's not. And so God cuts through the action and, and in the actions that we do. And he says, that, that's actually, um, I'm looking at why you're doing it. And, and that opens up this horrible thing, this truth of my inner heart being exposed, this light coming in and I'm condemned. You know, God sees all the stuff we hide from other people. 
even the things we don't do. By the way, right? We kind of readily go after this weird lowering of stuff. We go, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. Of course I'm not perfect. Well, thanks for telling me like I needed to know. Yeah, you're not perfect. That doesn't excuse you from these things, right? No one assumes that you're perfect. And saying, well, I'm not perfect only works as some statement of we're doing all, doing our best. Because that's kind of how we use it, right? Well, of course I'm not perfect implies, but I'm doing all I can. And and, and like God's going to be okay with that. That's why in this Sermon on the Mount, right? It's terrifying. Here's what Jesus says. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You'll see people trying to twist that around, complete or something, but it says perfect. Right? So admitting you're imperfect is a way to excuse our wrongness, but really it's just an invitation to condemnation. If you're not perfect, you must be. See, if God wanted outer conduct, you know what Jesus would have done? He would have said, come on up, Pharisees. The Pharisees were all about outer conduct. And instead, Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs. You're you're a brood of vipers. You're a pit of evil because you wash the outside. But the inside, what's the inside? What you're thinking, your motives. The inside's important. Feelings and the motivations must be absolutely pure and sin-free and perfect. Jesus doesn't just condemn adultery. He condemns lust. He doesn't condemn murder only. He condemns anger. he's, He's saying the law cuts through the outer behavior and looks at the inner motivation, what's inside us. And our external restraint is not good enough. We need to never be angry, never be vengeful, not even have a hint of lust, not ever want what we don't have, never judge others' blessings versus our own. Perfection demanded and not wiggled. You must always love sacrificially. On the inside, you must want to do it all the time. You must never hurt anyone. You must ever, never, ever desire to ever be hurtful to anyone in any way. You must always help everyone, never harbor any grudges, never even want to seek retaliation or retribution when someone hurts you. I don't know where we got the idea, do you? Do you know where we got the idea that that, that somehow restraining ourselves and doing what's right is virtuous? I did this in spades growing up. I did not want to go out and sweep the driveway, do my chores. But I got up because I knew my dad was watching. and You know, he'd see it and he'd smile at me. There was a good benefit from me doing it. So I got up and did it. I was the kid that did it. I even thought that was good. Well, yeah, you overcame your disinclination to do it and you went and did it. No, I I didn't want to do it. I did it for me. Do you know what Jesus says about that? Do you know what the law says about that? Evil. we've, We've drunk in something different. I don't understand. Somehow... You realize virtue, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, virtue is wanting to do what is right all the time. 
wanting to do it, desiring to do I'm not saying you shouldn't do what's right. You do what's right by the law. Hey, you get there because that's, I'm saying that not wanting to do it condemns you. I mean, that's, that's, that's Jesus. It shows your sinfulness. It doesn't honor God that your heart is not in something. That's Jesus' application of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, his re-giving of the law to you and me. So, so say you lust after someone, but you clamp down and you don't act on it. This is categorically a failure of God's law. Lust is not allowed. You must never withhold forgiveness from anyone who wrongs you ever. You must never even want to withhold forgiveness. Come on, I've done that. Somebody sins against me, let's make it my wife. She never does, but you know. And she comes and she says, oh, forgive me. And I say, not yet. I'm still working through that. We'll do it because I have to at some point. Or sometimes worse, I'll say, I forgive you. And I won't talk to her for another day and a half. Because why? Because my heart's not in it. I know what I have to do, and I do it because I will do it. But but my heart is far from it. That that that's what you can't have. That that condemns me. It shows my sinfulness. That's my problem. You must never even think you've done something well because your right hand shouldn't even know what your left hand is doing. You must never even. If someone steals from you, you get up and you get, someone comes in and takes, steals your car, you run after them and make sure the back is, is packed with groceries. No, thank you, I'll take my rifle. And I'll shoot out the tires so they don't get away. But that's the Sermon on the Mount. That if somebody hits you, 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 you give them the other cheek. You've got to love your enemy. Love them. You've got to do all this stuff because you want to, not because it's the right thing to do. You you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the law. This is Jesus. It's depressing. I I understand why Paul says there's no one good, but, but really Paul's not thinking about somebody else. He's thinking of you. He's thinking of me too. We are evaluated on God's demands presented by Jesus Christ so we can honestly and easily admit that we're not good. This is what the law is intended to do. It's to show us this. We will not look to the solution who is Jesus himself if we don't come from the right spot. And so the Holy Spirit impresses this in our hearts even this morning. I'm condemned. It's not this loose thing. And why we're going to spend some time in the Ten Commandments, we got to get this right, is because it's specific. That These are things that go deep. They're not, oh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of avoided um, shooting someone today. Good job, Dex. I hope I can do that tomorrow, too. No, they go to my heart and say, I got, I got mad at somebody today. I'm condemned. Where's my hope? Right? This is the idea of, of Romans, Paul echoing Jesus. 
For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law and our list of things that we are to do and they are good. But what they do is they show us we're condemned. And if you're not thinking they condemn you, you're not thinking deeply enough. You're not understanding where Jesus is coming from. Who is God? This is the presentation of the law by Jesus. It's a mirror. It shows us who we really are because when we see who we are, we can hear the rest of the message, the wonder of grace, the, the, the light on our ugliness as we agree with God and we run to the cross receiving the grace of the forgiveness of our sin and the righteousness of Christ covering us. That would be his obedience. Right? This is the center of our life. This is the message we proclaim. Do you see why then? You know that you don't stand up and preach and talk about advice on how to do the law better. Let me give you some tips so you won't feel so bad about not keeping the law. Okay, A, impossible. B, where does that take you? If you think you're keeping the law, you're headed into self-righteousness. Look at my good job parenting. Boy, I sure don't like that. I'm glad they sit on the other side of the church. They're not doing very well. That is a killer of who? You. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You need to hear that. You need to get that driven in because the world doesn't know it. It's telling you the other all day long. And, and what people do is they, this is our problem. We go towards cheap law, not cheap grace. We understand grace is free. Jesus does it. It costs Jesus a lot. But it's freely given to you. What we don't understand is the law. And we run towards cheap law. Cheap laws, I can lower it enough that I can hurdle it. If, if, you would, if God just makes it easy enough, then I'll jump it and I'll keep it. And Jesus, you know, Sermon on the Mount, he takes that hurdle and he just goes ahead and makes it rise up to the moon. You think you can jump to the moon? Well, I can jump a lot farther than my friend. You have five feet versus six feet. Great. There's 230,000 miles to get up there. You're not making it. You're just not making it. That this is what we know. God's law is not a ladder. It is a mirror, a light. It exposes our ugliness, our darkness. And the, it's a wall we crash into. N- not, not a nice hurdle to leap over. This is, this is Jesus, rightfully so, in the Ten Commandments. That's what he's after. Okay. This is what we need to see. You say, I'm not sure that's true, Dax. I, I, I want to look. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at them closely. We need to do this because, because that's how the Christian church always has been. If you take the smaller catechism of Martin Luther, guess what he's talking about? The Ten Commandments, page after page. Because if you'll see them rightly, if you'll see, I don't do this, I don't, I don't, and that drives you towards Jesus. If what you see is, I can, I can, if you just give me a little more information and I'll do it, that leads directly to the Pharisees and self-righteousness. Legalism is always about lowered law. Self-righteousness is always about, I can do this. With a little help from my friend Jesus, there is no help there for you to accomplish your own perfection. 
you must be perfect, and it's found only in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? So, so this idea, good news does come. It's even in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 17. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Again, some people don't like that. They try and wiggle with this verse. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I will fulfill the law. I will. Not you, right? Jesus came to fulfill it. It's up to us. We're in trouble. But he will fulfill it for you. So the expression of God's love, right, isn't the lowering of his demands. He doesn't lessen his demands. He doesn't sweep your failures under the rug and act like they're not there. Paul says the wages of sin is death. And if God looks at your heart and it's not where it should be, that's called sin. Well, well, it's not sin until I do it. No, he's looking at your heart that's not where you should be. It's a bunch of words for sin. One of them is just twisted. You are twisted. Right? And and so the wages of sin is death. And when you look at the cross, you see death, the death of God's son for your sin. There's no other way. God is, is, is just to forgive your sins because he has laid them on Jesus and he has given. Ooh, I like that. We're coming from a cave and I'm telling you, Jesus is where it's at. Right? He gives you his righteousness. So, so think about Jesus in the Gospels for a minute with me. Just for a minute. Think about what he did. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter cuts the guy's ear. He puts the ear back. He's loving his enemy. Think about all the people who asked him. The woman who touched his robe. Over and over he's giving healing to the sick. Sight to the blind. Lepers totally healed. He loved his enemies. He prayed for those who persecuted him, even on the cross. Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's loving them. What is that called? Fulfillment of the law. Perfection is what it's called because Jesus Christ was perfect in a way that I am not. The lawmaker, this is totally intuitive, and he, he does good phrases. The lawmaker became the law keeper, and died for the lawbreakers. I love that. All of our sin, all of our wrong actions, all of our wrong desires, forgiven, you see, we're totally dependent on Jesus. He is our deliverer because we are never what we should be. The best we can do is a mockery of what's required. So, not me. Okay. Good luck with that. Our hope is in Christ. I cannot overstate how important this is. Why God is angry at judging. Because it is assuming you're doing it. And you're in a position to judge somebody else. God's commands are not his enablements. God's commands are his impossibilities. It's just the truth. We hear a can... Actually, that's not true. We hear a should, and we think it means it can. That's actually a statement from Immanuel Kant. I don't even know if he's a Christian. But he, he, he's like, well, if you hear a, 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 an imperative, you hear a should, we hear it implying that we can. Why? It's not what Jesus taught. 
God's commands are not his enablements. That's the opposite of the gospel, which is a push towards self-righteousness that will harm you and all around you. And we think with, with, we think we can and we're wrong. God's commands are his impossibilities. And we are given that righteousness, that rightness, that goodness as a gift in Christ. Think on that with me. Oh, hallelujah. Amazing. You, you know what we can't go back to is assuming you're doing the law, you know. How does this play out? What does it look like? Well, so imagine this one thing. Imagine you, you going to, to someone who's, who's in homosexuality. Say that. That you're far from God, but, but, but thinking in your head that you're near to God because you're not doing that. Do you see how that's the opposite of what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? My only hope to be close to God is what Jesus has done and my trust of him. My trust that he forgives me. Right? He's forgiven me my sin, and it is sin. We're talking about sin. We're not talking about going to the bank. We're not talking about walking around the park. We're talking about sin, and I'm saying you sin. Everybody sins. But our sin doesn't keep us from God anymore because of what Jesus has done. It's about trusting in my only hope because I've realized my eyes have been opened. The Holy Spirit's done this. He's opened my eyes, and maybe he's opened yours too, to this amazing wonder that I am a sinner I deserve nothing. And then I've got this amazing news, good news from across the sea that Jesus Christ has forgiven all my sins and given me his righteousness because he perfectly did the law. And he just says, hey, Swanson, you can have it. Trust him. And all of a sudden, it shifts my world. And and the harm we are doing to people is that we are leading the whole world to think that the law is doable. And then we're doing it. How prideful can we be? But you know, I go into classrooms and I talk to people. I'll tell you this is what they think. Christians are hypocrites. They're implying that you need to be doing stuff and I need to do stuff. And then they're saying that, but they don't do it. Why? Because they haven't heard the actual use of the law, which is to say, you need to be doing stuff. That's right. And nobody does it. Because there's no hope in that. None. There's a hope in Christ, and that's what we have this morning. The law was our guardian, Galatians 3, until Christ came in in order that we might be good, justified, righteous, by trust, by faith. This is our faith, right? This is what I believe. This is Christianity. Say, if Christ redeemed us, from the curse of the law, because it always condemns me, by becoming a curse for us, he died for me. It is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Okay. This is what these ten commandments are. They are canons. They are. To break you down, to see, oh no, I need Savior. And if you're there with me, you get this. Okay, this is what Jesus was teaching. This is the Sermon on the Mount that he's teaching. If you, if you go there finally with me, now we're ready to dive into commandment one. We'll do it next week. Maybe two as well. 
But, but I'm telling you, this is the takeaway that's going to be for you, for your life, is there is one who paid it all for us, the one who made a way into the actual holy presence of God that we're going to see in the rest of Exodus. You don't just wander into. Real righteousness, real holiness, and you don't get there by trying. It's not you try to do it. You actually get it. You get to just enter into his presence and pray. What a privilege, right? We are actually free in Christ because he has done it all. We are a city on a hill, a light that can't be hidden. But it's not because we do the law. It's because we point to Jesus. (laughs) Look at my wrongness. Can you believe I'm loved by the king? What a wonder to trust that Jesus has done it all for us. High law, don't you dare lower it. Because it exposes all of us. And it lights the real path to our deliverer, who is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this book that you've given us, this word. And Father, we particularly are hit today by the wonder of you coming down and telling us, even giving us moral instruction. Law. Lord, how beautiful it is, how sweet it is, and what a terrifying thing that we cannot in our hearts love it like we ought to. Love you like we should. Lord, we are failures and we are so amazed at the gift of your son to us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live it. Help us to be a people who point to the cross and to the resurrected son that you gave to us. Help us to live in the wonder of righteousness given, of sin forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that you've done it. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.